Good morning, church. Good morning. We're continuing our study in Luke chapter 6. Today we actually have an abridged, shortened version of the Sermon on the Mount, which starts off with the Beatitudes. Now it's Luke's account of these things. It's shortened because he includes a smaller amount of things. From the longer version of the Sermon on the Mount, you can find that in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. Now the Sermon on the Mount is all about Christian conduct. If you have followed Jesus for any measure of time, that is the place where you can look at and see, ah, this is the changed life. This is the transformed life. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus. And today we're going to find ourselves in the Beatitude. It's the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And it's just this amazing picture of what it looks like, the conditions of the heart that make it ready to receive Christ as Savior. But on the other side of things, it's our way of looking back into a text and finding out that is the recipe for happiness. You go around Omaha Metro, you can find any parent and ask them, what do you want for your children? They're gonna most likely say, for them to be happy. You go to any black, brown, or white person in all of the US, you ask them, what do you want for your life? High likelihood, they're going to say, I just want to be happy. <laughs> that is the bare minimum of, of life and what we desire naturally out of our humanness. Why is that, church? It's because each and every one of us know how difficult life can be. Each and every one of us know how fragile we are as humans, whether we acknowledge it or not. And Jesus in the text today, in the Beatitudes, I'm preaching to the church this morning. There are conditions for us to be happy, to be glad, and it's found in God, amen? But there are certain four, in particular, traits, conditions to be met in order for a promise to happen, and that's for our hearts to be blessed, to be happy. Let's read through the text today before we get started. Luke chapter 6, verse 20. Blessed, Jesus says here, are you who are poor. That word blessed in the original Greek means happy. So every time we're reading blessed, it is happy. Happy are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Happy are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Happy are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Happy are you when you are hated, excluded, insulted, and rejected your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. There are conditions to our happiness, and God is not opposed to happiness. He is the God of gladness. Psalms tells us that in his presence, there's rejoicing gladness in his presence. And some of us right now, 
are lacking in happiness because we are not hated, because we're not hungry, because we're not poor in spirit. And Jesus wants to restore our happiness in him. Are you ready for this word, church? Let's pray. God, we think we're ready. We ain't ready. Holy Spirit, prepare our hearts. You desire so much to restore our gladness in you. Make your good news that much more greater in our hearts today and that we would love and hunger and ask you to be poor again. Ask you to be hated. Ask you to be hungry and ask you to weep in Jesus' name. God, we know trials are things that we avoid, but it is the number one vehicle for us to grow in godliness, for us to grow in happiness. God, restore to this church our happiness, which is found in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, let's go through. We're going to go through all four things this morning. First trait, being poor. Verse 20, Jesus speaking to his disciples here in an abridged version of the Beatitudes. Blessed or happy are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. So reverse engineer this with me when you're looking at this verse. Happy, essentially, are those who have the kingdom of God. You'll read in Bible writers will say kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven. Those two things are interchangeable, but not in this sense. The kingdom of heaven is that future place later for us to enjoy, right? For those who have placed their trust in our Savior, Jesus. Now the kingdom of God is a rule now in our hearts. And that makes us happy. Blessed are those who live with this reality that we have the creator of the universe ruling within our hearts. You see, there's either a slave mentality or a friend mentality we can have as humans. When we were following the patterns of this world, we could not help but enter in to our sinful nature. Whatever selfish thing we wanted, we pursued. And praise God, the good news is, ever since we've placed our trust in Christ, he has become the ruler of our hearts. You know, when a king goes into a territory and takes it over with its army, all subjects bow and say, you rule, your will be done. The good news about our king is that he's gentle and lowly. He cares for each and every one of you regardless of circumstances. He knows all of the hairs on your head. And by the way, this is a God who oversees time zones, three of them within the United States, four of them, for God, Mountain West is a thing. He oversees every nation and he cares particularly about you. That should bring about a gladness within our hearts. Now here's the reality. If you're not experiencing that gladness in this season, that happiness that you have, the rule of God within your hearts, where he comes into your life and he renovates your actions, your attitudes, your will, your motivations, your thinking patterns, it may be because we are not poor in spirit. That is the condition 
that God blesses with happiness to his church is that we would remain poor in spirit. There's something unique about being poor. It brings a person, whether it's materially or spiritually, to a place of utter need and dependence on God. A humility that brings about this prayer within our souls. That poor prayer that Jesus loves to hear from his church. God, if you don't show up, I'm gone. If you don't show up in my marriage, in my finances, in my children, I'm done for. It's that impoverished spirit that led each and every one of you Christians to say, take over my life. I've done it my way for too long. God, you rule. That same humility that God loves to pour out in favor upon his church. God opposes the proud and gives blessing, grace to the humble. That same posture of being poor in spirit, he wants for our happiness now. Are you feeling me, church? Some of us are not experiencing gladness, happiness, which God is the source of and not opposed to. Because we no longer have a poverty of spirit. We no longer pray the prayers of God. If you don't show up now, I'm done for. We've lost our desperation. We've lost our desperate need for God. We've inherited this skillfulness of being a Christian where capacities build up over time. Over the years of you, you get hurt, you handle it this way. And over time, we have lacked just going to God and begging of him. That's what honors God. That's what he pours out for his church and happiness. When we go to him and we beg, some of us are wondering what's happened in our life and we lack a little bit of discernment. God will do whatever in your life is necessary for you to grow in godliness, for him to increase and for you to decrease. Sometimes he authors or permits things that he hates within the world for our best to grow. God desires a begging church one that prays on its knees, one that wears patterns worn up in the carpet within your prayer closets because we desperately see our need for God. You walk out, you can find different off-ramps, different exits of different freeways branched off of Highway 80 here, and you may run on occasion to a beggar, and you will realize that they are poor. Let that be a reminder. A lot of them on that occasion is because they got to a place where they are begging regardless of season. And they don't care who they're begging from if it's a stranger because they see their need for material support. I say this, church, do not let poor, the poor, outbeg us in our efforts to God. Now, I know it's not carte blanche all across the board. Let that be a reminder of the state 
of our hearts that God wants us in, that we are continually begging and asking of God. It is a sweet aroma in which he ends up giving us gladness within our hearts. And here's the thing, church, it's always a prayer away. It's always simply asking, Holy Spirit, I have lost my begging muscle. I have become complacent and self-sufficient in my behaviors. And I'm asking you now, not later, church, now, right now, for you to give me a heart of desperation again. And here's the thing, church. God loves us too much to leave us the same. He may place things in our future that brings us where we have to beg. It's better to beg now than later. Our happiness is at stake. Verse 21 is going to be the second thing. Blessed or happy in verse 21. Are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Hunger is this God-given thing in our body that makes us crave for more. It realizes there's a need of nutrients and food in our body. Ends up giving the stomach that hunger pain. Spiritual hunger is similar. It lets us know that we cannot live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of Come on, church, I know there's more Bible readers out there. That come out of the mouth of, participate with me, church. Hunger makes a person seek. Hunger makes a person search. Long, seek after. That's what hunger does within our soul. It's this powerful thing in the physical that makes us go raid a pantry. It's also a powerful thing we've seen physically in Genesis, if you remember when we were there, where Esau traded his firstborn birthright for a bowl of soup. That's the beautiful hunger that we see that is natural. It's the thing that makes us go looking, searching, and longing. An insatiable desire, spiritually, that makes us go until we are satisfied spiritually. Some of us have given up on seeking God because we lack that hunger. What we've gone to is feeding ourselves empty calories. In idle moments, we have gone to Netflix and our phone. And all that is empty calories. The negative about that of a habitual going to those things instead of edifying your inner person is that you will lose your taste buds spiritually. Repeated patterns end up changing and modifying and shaping the way we think and the way we act. The more that we're inhaling those things in our idle moments going to the phone, at the end of the night, going to vegging and watching Netflix, it will get rid of our hunger and taste buds for God. And we will get fat on the world and the patterns of its thinking. 
and we will be overwhelmed at things at work because we have not begged of God or hungered for him to show up. Some of us lack happiness, church, because we genuinely have lost our hunger for God. But when it's restored, we will be satisfied. Each one of us, born again at that conversion moment and life after, continue to hunger for more. It is a moment by moment walk with Jesus. And what we give ourselves to will show what we're hungry for. And what we end up doing with that hunger will show if we're satisfied or not. Happiness in God is found for a people that are hungry. And the beauty of it all, church, is that it's a prayer away. The good news of Christ in us, the hope of glory, is that we have this beautiful union and he's an advocate at the right hand of the Father. And as we talk with him, he's at the Father saying, hey, John, Joseph, Jessica, they're asking again to hunger. And you know what God's going to do? He's going to bless. We are always just a prayer and a quiet time away. Our happiness is at stake. Verse 21 for the third trait of Christian conduct and also the condition for happiness. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. NLT says laugh later. This past fall, Danny and I lost our seventh child. It was the most excruciating pain that we could have imagined. Joseph is his name, and we got to meet him on this side of heaven at 20 weeks. And there is nothing like living a existence moment by moment. Thank you for praying us through that season in the fall. The thing, church, that got me and my bride through every moment from now, from then until now, and Lord willing, into the future, is our hope in Christ. It was this that told me and my bride that we are going to see our child again. Amen. It was this that told me and my bride that all things work to, for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. It's this that has shaped how we grieve. And it's not like the world because we're going to live forever one of the beautiful doctrines of hope found in the New Testament is that there's a new heaven and new earth for us to enjoy forever. 
we're all going to live forever, church. Wouldn't that be amazing to facilitate and manage our anxious situations with that perspective and seasons? All these things will eventually pass. But praise God, he's going to make all things new. And our hope is in Christ. We will experience difficulties on this side of heaven. But happiness, blessed are you who weep now, but we will laugh later. Because death no longer has the victory. And we praise Jesus that 2,000 years ago, he rose from the grave to cancel all debts for those who believe in faith, the name of Jesus is Savior. Amen? Amen. Amen. Our last trait and condition for current happiness, verse 22, blessed or happy in the original Greek, are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, insult you, reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. Blessed or happy are those who are excluded, hated, reviled, not because you're some truth teller in the workplace and you lack grace. It's because the Son of Man. Now, what did the Son of Man come? with grace and truth, right church? May we be happy because we are hated wherever we go, even within our households, because we represent the ultimate source of grace and truth, amen? amen. We are living in the biggest moral collapse in American history. That's no newsflash, we've been in this for about five years now. And there's two ways to respond, church. One of them has to do with digging our heads in the sand and not worrying about what's going on out there. That's option one. Another one is to come out hot and be so consumed with what's happening and truth-telling that we end up unnecessarily rubbing people the wrong way. And we forget about what the, quote, quiet life looks like as Jesus followers. And then the last one is what I think would honor God most. And that is being aware of what is happening. The spirit of the times. The end times coming. And for us to truly be involved, first prayerfully, for the morality of our nation. And secondly, to be involved as the Spirit leads. And then lastly, to take up 1 Peter chapter 7's advice, the, uh, chapter 4's advice, the end of the world is near. Be of clear mind and pray. Share your spiritual gifts. Show hospitality. Church, the end of the world is coming. The times seem to become more dark. And Peter says, continue being a Christian. 
Continue showing love, outdoing the workplace and other non-Christians in good deeds. And for that to be a sweet aroma, we can have happiness when we are disliked because we represent Jesus. And the reality is, and it's not doom and gloom theology, no matter what happens in this presidential election, the times will continue to regress into moral failure. And our beautiful privilege is that we live in the most exciting times in America. Do we realize what this text promises to us now? That if we're hated for following Jesus, full of grace and truth, grace and truth, words seasoned with salt, aware of our witness and that we represent God and that we're trying to bring people away from the heat of damnation and into the glorious presence of God. As that is happening, we will receive rewards in heaven. There's nowhere in this text that says we will receive rewards in heaven for being hungry now, for being poor now, for weeping now. You won't get a bonnet in heaven for us overcoming. But what we will do is we will receive not just a reward, but a great reward from God our Father if we stand up under persecution. I'm not even gonna pretend like we even know what that means right now. I'm not. But I do know that as times continue to unfold, may we hold tight to that promise, that happiness, regardless of how you're mistreated in your workplace because you rep Jesus, can be found in us continually going to him and being hated for repping him. And would we receive great rewards for the future sufferings in this room? Church, our continual happiness and the mark of true Christians, mature believers in Christ, are those who are poor in spirit, hungry for him, filled with hope, and faithful to the end. Can I get an amen? amen. Now, I lived most of my life not following Jesus. And when I read this next passage to finish us out, it reminds me of the warning I want to give to anyone who was like I before you make a decision to follow him. There's something to consider here. Jesus speaking here, and he says, But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. And woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. In other words, those who are not poor in spirit, those who are not humble and contrite, those who are not hungry for him or hope filled, The caution is that this life is the best it's going to get for you. And this life is not that great. 
Anyone in this room who has not given your life to Jesus, he's speaking to you today. And he's saying, come to me. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. He wants to take all of your messes that you think you can't approach him with. He wants to forgive you of those things. He wants to restore a relationship with you, friend, as he did in my life at 18. And he wants to make you brand new from the inside. You cannot fake hunger. You cannot fake being hope-filled or faithful. It comes after the Holy Spirit has occupied your heart. And it is the greatest decision that anyone in this room who's given their life to Jesus has ever made. Ever made. The warning is this life is the best it will get for you if you've not given your life to Jesus. When for us in this room who've given our lives to Jesus, there are rewards for us in his presence that await us. Let's pray. Happiness and gladness, God, restore to your people this morning. Happiness and gladness. God, I'm asking that you would move the person in the room who's not yet given their life to Jesus. I ask that you would move them closer and that today would be that decision. Today would be that decision. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen.